So we're not talking about my mom. Is that clear? <laughs> and I did start recording. So apparently we are going to be talking about your mom. <laughs> Perfect. I'm keeping that in there. Good. We're back today with Nate and John, and we've also uh, lassoed in my friend Eric, who I've known for eight or nine centuries. He is my uh, oldest surviving friend, period, and my oldest gaming friend. And uh, so we gamed together, I guess, the late 80s. Is that right, Eric? Yeah, um, that's about right. And we were doing AD&D. Uh, Eric is the consummate dwarf player. <laughs> What's funny is uh, I watched a documentary called Secrets of Blackmore that talks about the very first role players. And it was on under David Arneson. And the, the guy who played the very first dwarf in a role-playing game could be one of your brothers. Looks he like looks him. just like you. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. On my window of my truck, I have made the dwarves be with you, <laughs> Hobbit. That's fantastic. <laughs> uh, so, Eric, you want to give us a bit about your own gaming history, including the glory days with me? Gildadrian, <laughs> uh, Gil yeah. Um, started in second edition of Dungeon Dragons. I didn't play the original. Um, and learning that system was a, a long and arduous path. And then when they came out with 3.0, it was like, hey, wait a minute, this makes a whole lot more sense. So we transferred to 3.0 um, with my son. I got to thinking about this the other day with Jordan. And between the two of us, we have started, we're not sure exactly, but somewhere in the range of 20 to 25 different role-playing groups um, from the two of us together. So that's kind of an interesting uh, caveat to that. But we switched to 3.5 when they started to find that 3.0 was imbalanced in some way. So they made some modifications and did 3.5 to, to balance the system out. And uh, that's pretty much where I've stuck because I've enjoyed it so much. And the system works for me. Um, I, all of my role playing that goes other than the systemic stuff, you know, we make house rules for to, to make whatever changes we need. Yeah. Um, we found, and you remember this, um, you, you and I were playing Galadrian or Gildadrian, depending on which version you're playing. Um, when we were playing Galadrian, we, we found that the magic system and just the mere amount of um, ability a mage had was just over the top. The fact that they could teleport wherever they wanted in the world in a moment's notice, that they could raise people from the dead, that they, you know, all of these things that, that were um, so epic that, that should have only been an epic characters if that ever even was a thing and uh, in our house rules we just decimated those said no more we're not we don't have those in our in our uh, world none of those spells exist anymore um, so uh, movement became you know more important and the ability to go from place to place 
um, different ways. Now we kept like Dimension Door, which was line of sight, and you know we we had things like that still, but we didn't have any longer these huge epic spells that could be cast at third levels at casting yeah. levels. And so we're like, this is crazy that these things were possible. And so we further neutered it down a little bit that way. And then Jordan started, my son Jordan, he started um, this thing called Ultra Real 3.5. And we reduced the hit points um, accumulation. And so if you take a hit, you're in danger. You know, you're you're no longer um, able to just withstand there toe to toe with somebody who, you know, and, and just swap, you know, blades with each other. Yeah. You have to be more strategic and you have to think and you have to, you know, be more intentional. So, yeah, I think that that also kind of morphed our game into a more enjoyable system. Yeah. So, yeah, all of that you described, Eric would GM my character for years. And it was the what what Eric described with the arms race, we call it, where all of the powers kept on upping the ante. And so you would have all these magic items, all of these wizards, all all of the spellcasters across the world. The, the gods were intervening here, which required, you know, a counterbalance. And it was just, it was all of that that actually, like, pushed me to to realize that I wasn't going to get the experience I wanted in role-playing games unless I totally left the system and started over. So that's what actually started me on the path of making my own damn system. So like, my sucky DMing made you change <laughs> to your own. No, your, your GMing is <laughs> great. It was the system we were, we were bound to. It's like, yeah. and, and so, you know, years later when I, when I finally found websites like the Forge that talked about, system matters you know it really fucking matters yeah like you you can't just say well do whatever you want with the system unless you're doing serious tweaking to the system it's going to steer your campaign it's going to steer all your campaigns so yeah yeah i mean that's one one of the reasons why we made those decisions to to pair it back you know we did a lot of pairing in the system to make the things that we that we wanted to happen in our house rules Our main topic for today is going to be PC uh, willpower, self-control, and all of the human elements that, uh, as far as the games that I've been exposed to, kind of get pushed to the side. We've talked about role-playing games being uh, a chimera between miniature wargaming on the one end and on the far other end is pure make-believe. And my experience with most role-playing games is that, especially when it comes down to time for fighting, that the mindset is very much still in the ballpark of a miniature war game. So a battle begins and everyone starts making choices in the same way that we do with miniature wargaming. And if we're playing miniature wargaming, I love that. I love all the strategy incorporating, you know, whatever system mechanics I can to up my advantage. And that's that's a ball. 
What I don't like about it with regards to role playing is it seems to take away from the three dimensionality of me as this person in this situation where someone has this battle axe and they want to cut me into pieces. And so my goal in role playing is to escape the miniature wargaming paradigm and to have that strong unity of player to character experience. And so the question that comes up is how can the system itself facilitate, you know, that experience, that emotive human instinctual experience. So my earliest memory of mechanics that are involved with this topic are uh, basic D&D. You had morale tables that you would roll. And if they rolled really low, they would run away. Otherwise, they would be brave and stay. Uh, my memory of this is this only applied to NPCs. And even this, I think we stopped using probably before I met you, Eric. I don't recall if we used this when I was a teenager or not. Uh, I don't I don't know if they kept these rules in AD&D or not. But you can see that they were trying to do something that it kept the spirit of when you're when a person is afraid they're not automaton they were doing something i don't know how many gamers kept it or threw it away it was an optional rule um in in 3.5 uh, morale mm -hmm. they had it in second edition for and it was it was just really weak and so most people just didn't implement that in their game but um it was an optional rule and some people used it and they they did tweak it a little better yeah. Um, and they had skills and they had feats and stuff you could add in there if you were going to use that. Yeah, I, I think morale is an artifact from miniatures, uh, you know, like Napoleonics, uh, where you would make a fail a morale check in your unit, your stand, you know, guys or whatever would route. And that would in turn, you know, affect other units if they retreated through them and stuff like that. That's that's totally from miniatures. And that's probably mm. from Gary. Guy yeah, pretty sure it is Gary Guy Gags. I recall um, that. So everyone seemed fine if there was a spell that caused fear. Gamers did not seem, in in my experience, they did not seem to bulk if, like, a character, an enemy, cast a fear spell and it made you run away. Uh, it seemed that there was a more of an acceptance of that because they're like, oh, there's this supernatural force making me run away. Um, and therefore, I, you know, I, there was there was less bitching about it. John, you're, you're shaking your head. No. Yeah, uh, I actually think quite the opposite. I, I played systems where they have like the coolness under fire mechanics built in as a stat or it's it's very it has a, it has a stronger framework in the game other than just like a savings throw. And then if you fail, you run. Um, I, I found that the people, the circle of people excluding, you know, you guys and maybe a handful of others, but the circles that I've been gaming with, they really hate that. Oh God, I got to make a resistance roll. And if I, if I fail it, then I have to run. And I, they hate doing that because it takes, this goes back to the autonomy thing where it takes control away from the player. So do you to, mean that 
with with a with a spell they have the same reaction yeah or like if a creature emanates fear like if you run into like, like a, a dragon or something or a dragon yeah. you have to make a fear check and if you you know degrees of failure depends on it kind of dictates what you do yeah so they don't tend to like that but um i had some game time with the system twilight 2000 by game designers workshop and they had a if i recall correctly there was a coolness under fire stat or there was a rating in that game and that kind of was the governing factor on whether you could stay and do what you want to do if you're taking taking fire uh, and I, I and i think you don't see I, I know cthulhu has an insanity thing uh that i think nate had mentioned i think before we started or maybe it was at the very beginning but i think in order for mechanics to be universal through a system and to be more digestible i think that framework needs to be just as important as stats you know what i mean yeah so what i hear a lot of from gamers is they're resistant to anything that keeps them from all being absolutely brave uh i think there's a inherited tradition of well my character is a quote unquote hero and therefore whatever happens i can choose to be as heroic as is conceivable because i'm a player character right in fact some some home systems are set that way right i talk about my home rules or my house rules a lot of them are like well when we come together and play we're playing heroes we're not just playing the run of the mill people we're going to be playing heroes and these people they're going to have a much stronger morale they're going to have a much stronger fortitude their stats are going to be higher and they build that into their system that they choose to play yeah so it, my reaction to that is that it 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 pulls the people away it pulls the characters away from being three-dimensional by making them all de facto that you know like samuel jackson cold hearted killer nothing scares him i'm thinking of pulp fiction and i mean i can't imagine the, him in 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 that role being afraid and running away it just wouldn't happen what i don't like is that every character is de facto that cold hard courageous i think that it takes away something i don't know this it this is a a really difficult topic because what we're saying is we want your character to feel more human, more relatable. But part of that is going to be that sometimes you are afraid and do things that are not strategically the right thing to do because you got terrified. Make so a mistake. I, yeah, it, I, I think about Saving Private Ryan and that scene on the staircase where the soldier freezes up and has an act, just absolute paralysis while his friend is getting killed by an enemy soldier and i think that is like the worst thing imaginable to have to live with that but on the other hand there's something that rings very true about that experience so in role-playing games i guess the question is you know on this spectrum of you're always Samuel Jackson 
or you're the guy on the stairs, what's your reaction to the idea of having a mechanic baked in that says sometimes you're afraid and it makes you freeze or flee or, you know, several other options in between. Yeah. What's your reaction to, to that notion of a mechanic that affects what we do? That's not magic. It's not a spell, not a fear spell. It's a human reaction to terrible events. An underlying issue seems to be one of expectation as players. Um, you know, does, does anybody think that uh, being the impervious hero, you know, the, the, the hero who is, is never, you know, quelled by uh, a terrible enemy, you know, who, who never, you know, is, is in, in, you know, experience of shock and awe at a terrible enemy, does anybody think that that is a richer experience than something more realistic? And well, I don't my, know. I don't know about richer, but I think I think you're on. I mean, I, I like the thought that you're having. Here's part of the problem: if you're building a system and you have a group of people who, at the end of the day, they want to walk away, you know, with their with that hot, head held high, character did great things, and now I feel great because the rest of my life sucks then, you know, that's what they want. You know, they want to walk away with that. They want to walk away from a campaign where they can finally feel like a superhero because the rest of it sucks. Mm -hmm. Do I want my campaigns to feel exactly like the rest of my life? I don't think so, you know? And and so you got to have, you've got to have some level where these guys are in some ways a little better than your average Joe. However, I do think that there's a there is room for those moments for your character to actually be like, oh crap, you know, I this is beyond me or or I can't really deal with this for whatever reason. Yeah, I mean it's it's I don't know that it's it's worthwhile to really go into like, you know, psychoanalysis of players and their characters. Um, and and as, as we've said multiple times, you know, whatever, uh, you know, your underlying impetus uh, for playing is, that's totally your choice. Any, anybody can play what they want to play, you know, and if, if they want their player characters to be, you know, heroic archetypes that somehow compensate for the inadequacies in their own real life, you know, have at it. Absolutely do that. I mean, we, we all do that kind of stuff. But it, it seems like there's a, a sort of foundation of the conditional that if you want a particular rich experience that is heroic while not straying too far from the bounds of reality, then there are, of course, certain things that shouldn't happen. You know, like, you know, lots of examples can be, you know, posited, you know, you, you, you put your average young, healthy, fit guy who knows how to swing a sword up against a man who has fought a thousand battles. It's foolhardy for that young guy to, to do anything but, but, you know, think that he's going to die in that situation. And if, you know, if, if we want if we want the young guy to have illusions of grandeur, sure, play that campaign. That's fine. 
Okay, but if we're going for the rich experience that Daniel has described, then the realism is that when people face the real potential for, for injury and death, fear is inevitable. Okay. I mean, this, this is kind of why we have two different words for foolhardy and brave. Those are two very different things. But very thin line between them. Yeah. I think, I think you could tie that in with how the mechanics of the system are providing that to the players. So if you have, if you have the hit point system, right, and there's a thousand of them, um, if the player knows that number, that kind of dictates the decisions the player is going to make for a character, which in reality, uh, if a character is hurt bad, they're probably going to surrender or, or, or run, right, before it's too late. But because the player knows he's got 10 hit points left, they know, well, if he just doesn't hit me really good, I can survive. It, you know, and so there, there's, that, there's that deduction going on in the player's mind that forces that, that, it, that influences the decisions that the characters are going to be taking in the game. And I think if you can take a can add mystery and get rid of the mechanic. So like, for example, another example would be um, GM says, make a fear versus 10th level save. Don't do that. Tell them that you're starting. So the GM should make like a way to resolve this without, it comes down to GM skill, right? How well can they describe fear to a player and how much can they scale it up? So the player is not really sure what's happening, not really describing the fear as a mechanic, but he's like, Hey, you start to feel your, you know, the neck, your neck hair start to stand up. You start to get the chills and you see this apparition or something. And you, and you start doing that in, in any given situation. I think the player would, there's more buy-in, I think, when you do it that way instead of just like save versus X, give me a roll. Okay, uh, you failed by 20, run for D20 rounds. That that in and of itself, the mechanics are ruining the third dimension that Daniel was alluding to trying to get to. And I think I, I think you have to abstract, you have to give up the detail and go to the abstract level and let the GM describe the immersion better to get the players to buy into it. So I'm, I'm recently rereading Gemmel, David Gemmel, and keep going back to Druss, who is this mountain of a man who carries this two-handed, uh, previously possessed battle axe. And I'm thinking about, you know, characters who may want to kill him in hand-to-hand I don't think the, the if if I have five guys with me and we want to mug Druss the legend, who would do that? Who would dare to go up against Druss? Because I mean, his reputation is to face him in battle is to die, right? Is he, is he like and, the Rock of that period, you know, uh, or like yeah. Conan or something? Is yeah, he, like he a, is. He's very much a Conan character, but with an axe instead. You'd have to start off like all. I think all of these would have to be optional rules. So, if you want to play without it, it's it's fine. Uh, I do have uh, a point of view that says what's good for the gander is good for the goose, or vice versa. That if if the players all are 
like in the camp that says, I want to always be brave. I never want to, you know, run away because my character gets scared. My inclination is, okay, if you want to play that way, fine. That applies to everyone in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't like the idea of PCs being coddled in any mm-hmm. way. And that, you know, if Joe Hinchman decides to attack them, that, you know, that there's, they're not going to be fear there. I, I'm not sure. There's there's lots of if-thens going on here. Um, but it seems like, yeah, we, we have to have player buy-in before the campaign ever starts. Hmm. You know, if you have a group who does buy into it, then the question is how to implement that. So we talked about like, Call of Cthulhu does have a sanity loss dynamic. They have a mechanic in there that says the more horrible things you experience, usually surreal, supernatural, uh, that your sanity starts to erode, which starts to affect uh, all of your actions. And that requires player buy-in from the very beginning that you're not, again, this cold, detached controller of your miniature on the table, that you are actually, you know, bound up with this character who's losing sanity because of all the trauma. Well, Daniel, give us an example of how that would actually play out in in a fight in a game. So let's say you have a group who does buy in. First thing I I would say is I don't want a really dice-dependent result. I don't like dice-dependent results on lots of things. I like the character with whatever attributes or skills we're talking about being foundational and then just a little bit of randomness on the end. Let's go with the highwayman. And so one on one guy who wants to waylay someone and he sees that the potential victim is dress. My thinking is he would not do it and there's no reason to roll dice because he, he determines I'm by myself. That's dress. I'm not going to commit suicide. All right. And so let's add this because we're talking about role playing, right? So if this character happens to be the guy who just killed his wife hmm. in the, in the previous moment now what right that that percentage still exists now yeah. is he going to do it right because you said yeah, well it's a 95 percent, and now he doesn't get a role he doesn't get that opportunity to go and die for that cause because that's the, his heroic thing to do and he chooses yeah. knowing good and well he's going to die to fight this man anyway yeah that's you a different dynamic not- well, I'm just saying you you have that dynamic set up. And if you're actually role playing, then it's not the die roll that makes you decide to do it or not. It's what's going on in the campaign that makes you decide yeah. to do it or not. Right? right. It's what's driving your character. We had That's that it. same situation with my dwarf, if you remember, at the water's edge where we were following um, some people who that were we were desperately needing to to catch and because of the dwarf's enormous fear of the water you said well he just wouldn't go across the water i'm like i should at least get a chance to try it i should at least get a chance to roll it you said well it would be pointless and you know remember that remember that moment and i think wow that that is exactly the moment we're talking about that that amount of fear is epic but so is the decision to make that 
step over that water would be an epic moment. And the role is going to be terrible for him. And he might as well, I mean, he might very well have died, but I, my character was willing to make that step and make that role. Right. And so that's the choice that is being taken away from that character in that moment. Do we want the dice to really be the determiner in situations like that? So the highwayman example changes radically when it goes from I want to steal money to I want to avenge my murdered wife. Exactly. And Absolutely. so everything's circumstantial. The, the problem with uh, being terrified or of uh, what we in the modern world call phobias is that they don't respond to logic. Mm. You can't, like I'm acrophobic and we have a friend, Chuck, who is the other end of acrophobic. Used to be anymore, he does have acrophobia now. Yeah, when we were young, he had no fear whatsoever and it would actually like trigger a physical response in me to see him like play on the edge of the cliff or whatever. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But I guess my point is that there's no amount of logic that will, I can talk myself into not being paralyzed with fear at the prospect of falling off an edge. That's not actually true. Um, I used to be terrified of heights. I used to be absolutely just mortified like you when Chuck would get to that edge I'd be like stop don't get any closer please <laughs> just stop you're making me terribly uncomfortable yeah. I cannot watch this yeah. to now I climb around in a theater and I can go up to heights and I can be walking over top of openings and I can do those things now because I have forced myself to face that fear for a couple of reasons. One being my job, right? As a technical director, you have to be able to go do those things because you have people that are relying on you and you need to be you need to be that person that goes and does those things when it's your turn. Anyway, so it is possible to actually overcome those. It just takes a tremendous amount or it takes a catalyst to get you there. Well, it, it sounds like uh, some of this stuff you know, it goes back to certain decisions that the GM would need to make. And it, it you know, the, the story would come into play here. And I don't know if it starts getting kind of chaotic, like the decisions the GM would have to make, but the, the GM might have to do that, like just to imagine, okay, in this situation, what percent or what, what are the chances that this particular person under these circumstances would be, uh, you know, kowtowed by their own uh, phobia, you know, or, or would they be able to rise above and, you know, swallow their fear and actually attempt to do something heroic? I mean, would, wouldn't that just, that would require the GM to make uh, certain decisions? It needs to be bound up with each kind of character. So if you have a character who really is a battle-hardened warrior, they've come to accept death as a much more like daily event. And they probably mm -hmm. wake up thinking, well, I might die today. Mm -hmm. um, and they become much more callous to it. Mm -hmm. This is probably the hardest mechanic I wrestled with in my desire to have like realistic people. There's all these dynamics going on. I'm trying to find out for, even for groups who are going to 
do the buy-in, who do want to say, well, sometimes I, I accept that sometimes my character runs away or so, sometimes well, my character freezes up. Try to mechanically translate this. You're walking down the street and you see some old man getting beat up by eight gangbangers across the street, plain as day, and they're, they're kicking them to death. Are you going to go across the street and try to stop them? I don't know. And I don't know is the most honest answer because there's this instinctual part of us that wants to stay alive. I would so, like so, to think I would, but. But you don't yeah, know. But we don't so, know. Yeah. Right. And so does, does somebody like uh, the rock go across the street by himself and try to try to deal with eight guys? I don't think so. Yeah. I don't, I don't care how big, yeah. how much he weight lifts or not. I mean, that's, you're basically asking to be put in the same place yeah. as that guy who's being this, killed. Yeah, this is another. So, you know, the the movies have given us all the wrong idea situations. Yeah, even a guy. I mean, yeah, uh, trained I mean, Bruce fighters. Lee, Bruce, yeah, Bruce Lee wouldn't do that. Trained fighters have a hard time dealing with two opponents in the same second. So you know, you know, how much realism do you want to bring into your campaign? If if you are devoted to having a you know realistic true to life you know like you know things really are on the line kind of situation um then uh, i think there should be an element of when the fear hits you your will becomes secondary and that that might you know piss off a lot of players because they yearn to play the the hero who never flinches and again, it just comes down to choice. If that's what you want to play, play that. But if, but if you want something richer, then, you know, be willing to let the fear overtake you. And I don't think it has to be an all or nothing thing. I mean, I think a mechanic can be designed to be a sliding scale, kind of like, um, you know, with varying degrees of what fear will do to you, right? I mean, absolute terror, for, terror is like, mm -hmm. you know, like in when Ripley sees the alien, head right next to her face that's pretty much fail by a hundred kind of deal you know what i mean you just can't do anything but i i think a mechanic and i i think if you can get a mechanic in there somehow that the players understand how it works but it's a sliding scale and for example the more times you face the same thing that cause fear the better chance you have of maybe resisting it the next mm -hmm. time through you know what i mean something like that um oh. Yeah, maybe there could be like a, a very wide range. I'm, you know, going back to maybe something a bit akin to this, the sanity uh, thing in Call of Cthulhu, that just like every terrible experience you witness, you know, messes with your sanity, um, every fight you survive, you know, gives you a point so that next time maybe the fear is more manageable. Yeah. That die roll is is what the die roll is, right? And we we have set up and the players have all agreed and the DM has all agreed that that is how we resolve some of those issues that are unresolvable. We roll we roll the dice and let the dice make that decision. Then that's then that's the decision that's made. All right, um, so how would you interpret that? Let's say that you're in the dwarf you're in the uh, cavern that your dwarf was in and you are pursuing enemies and you realize that you have to get across the body of water. If the dice fail you, if, if the dice are, are the final determiner. Now we're talking uh, about fear here at this point, right? 
Well, it'd be a phobia. Yeah. Right. The fear of actually stepping into that boat or not stepping into that boat. Yeah. Right. right. Okay. Um, if the dice failed you, how would you work character interpret that moment? How would you play that out? Well, I mean, obviously, you know, you you have to justify why your character isn't actually following through with his heroic act that he's very led to do. Right. So you say, well, I'm going to find another way to go do what I've got to do, but I can't do it this way. This is not something my character is willing to do, um, willing to bring themselves to do. But if you can step on the boat, then that makes that campaign move forward from that moment. Right. Otherwise, he's got another path he's got to take in order to to figure it out in the campaign. Right. So what I think is the best is to say we'll have a good faith arrangement between the players and the GM and that if the player decides I'm going to be brave then that's what happens the problem is if you deliver that as a system then it's a slippery slope to every player saying my character is always brave right well and then the other side of that is when we talk about the dwarf stepping onto the boat or not stepping onto the boat there should be modifiers to that role, right? What's driving him to actually overcome his his phobia? Has he been has he attempted to overcome his phobias before? Is this something he commonly commonly or regularly wants to do is overcome this fear and has yet to come, overcome it? Is this the moment that that works, right? What's the modifiers that's going to be affecting that role, positive or negative, right? He's in a cave, so he's got some positive things going on. If he's outside in the wide open, he's also got other things he's got to deal about, deal with, right? So the dwarf has his fears about his location, has his fears about the water. He also has his motivation to go forward. And so all of those things need to be considered in modifiers. And they, they and that's just a conversation of what should that mod- modifier be between the DM and that player. So you are thinking uh, that the final success or failure is uh, a die roll that pushes it one way or the other. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then the reason why I think that works for me is because now I'm not upset with the DM for just making the decision. My character, it was taken away from my character to make that decision. And the DM made it. It's the dice that made that decision. The DM, yeah, isn't made that the modifiers? We, we discussed it. We did Is ultimately it? make it make yeah. you. We ultimately make it a die roll, and we put some modifiers to it, like like I just described. Yeah. Okay. So this is a very delicate uh, balancing act. I, I of, think we I think we balanced that really well, though that campaign. If you remember, in that campaign, he didn't step onto that boat. Mm. We oh, were we in, failed the roll. We failed the roll. And we had to go another route. We ended up outside. We were out of the mountain. We had to go all the way around. Um, we were at the river again. And I tried to make that again, make that choice to get on a boat. And ultimately, he was able to overcome it and get on the boat and get across the river finally. But it took us a really long time, extra long time to do that because of his fail the first time. And I think if you if you are role playing and you look at those moments, you make those decisions to make that part of the story, not just, oh, well, I failed. 
Mm-hmm. Right. You you make it part of the story. The, the story continues to evolve and the dice help tell that story. And it's not your fault. It's not my fault that I failed. It was the die roll that ultimately made that decision. And it wasn't your fault. And it wasn't my fault that he finally succeeded. It was the die roll that made that finally made that decision. Mm-hmm. And it's really and it, just a chance. It, it seems like players who would have some sort of I don't know, trouble or they'd be they'd be annoyed by the situation. That would seem to be an indication that they're not really on board with the the whole thing, with the with the system in general. Because I I remember um when we were playing through that scenario, my character was not someone with um, you know, with fear of the water. And witnessing, you know, a, a, as the character witnessing this going on. Um, it never bothered me that this dwarven character who could have, you know, wiped the floor with me was hobbled by this phobia because I was on board with the narrative and on board with, you know, how all of this would play out. So it, it uh, maybe, I don't know, maybe I'm assuming too much, but, but it seems like anybody who would be annoyed by this, like, ah, come on, what's wrong with this guy? Why can't we just get on with this? I mean that that's a problem of the of the player not being on board with all of it. And right. I'm not sure that there's that's any the solution to that. Yeah. No, you got to have the players gotta, that got to buy in. Yeah. Yeah, if the player's not yeah. bought into this, then the system's not going to fix that. Yeah. I yeah, do, the option of go ahead, John. I just do think that the more crunch you get, you're going in the wrong direction on implementing these uh kind of yeah. soft social you know interactions that mm-hmm. you can't really put, it's hard to put a rule to it you know what i mean yeah. like that's what keeps popping into my mind as we're discussing this john is the idea that like you know take the the psychological makeup of the character in the moment you know some of the things that uh, eric brought up like you know if if you are avenging your dead wife versus simply trying to save some villagers because you think it's the right thing to do Plus psychological 50, character there something. is really really different yeah, yeah. and yeah. so your willingness to risk yourself to 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 kill the person who murdered your beloved is very different from simply trying to save some villagers and what that might necessitate then of course is the gm to come up with the system that would influence whether the character can overcome their fear and it yeah. creates the potential for some really hot top heavy systemic stuff yeah, like or the, the GM is, yeah, the GM is just crunching, yeah, yeah. constantly, uh, and the player is just waiting for the GM to crunch numbers. Well, and in that sense, when we play um, at my house, uh, we have it set up so that the GM and the player say, "Okay, so this is going to be the role. What modifiers do we need to apply to this? What things mm. make sense to make this mm. the, to modify this role? Mm. So this is the role, and these are the modifiers." Now we don't have a lot of crunching to do because we've just, it's all in percentages. So we roll the percentile dice and we're either there or we're not. And so that discussion and that modifier actually is really, in my mind, really good role-playing because we're discussing that character's feelings and the depth of that character. And the die roll is that the modifiers are that discussion. 
Mm. How, how did your character come up with the phobia? Is that something that was out of the book and you rolled for it? Or is that something you added in for flavor when you were um, genning your character? The dwarves that he comes from were, it was part of, you know, one of the phobias that he had. And it was just the dwarves that he came from have never really had to deal with water. Did, and so did they, your character you know, get a benefit from that? Like, did you get some yeah, extra points had, or anything? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I had a stone cunning and lots of things from from the location where he was from. Um, so you, you gain benefits from that. And then you you have that detraction. Sure. Um, and I so mean, you, it's not, you it's have not to play a, it. Yeah. It's not a disadvantage unless it is really a disadvantage. Right. And you right. can't, mm. you know, if you're expecting to have all the benefit from extra points, like, or such a disadvantage, then you got to be able, you have to swallow the pill when it comes. Mm. Sure. And, and, yeah. and a good role player will play that. They should yeah. welcome that. And that should be rewarded too. Play your phobias, play your yeah. fears. And there, there's and, a certain enjoyment in, in playing the character who has that, that bit of brokenness mm-hmm. that, you know, also has its, its flip side. You know, maybe they have a, a bit of advantage in one area and then, they're they're a bit more than human in one way and a bit less than human in another. Uh, there's a certain kind of cool like enjoyment of that, uh, just as long as you don't take it, you know, too far. I mean, this this goes back to a couple discussions we had ago, where you know one of my favorite characters in the in the trilogy, The Lord of the Rings, is Boromir. Mm. You know, yeah. And I was thinking earlier, you know, Andy from Shawshank, not the strongest guy, mm. you know, not the best looking guy. But he's he's a hero. If mm. there is a hero, man, that guy suffered before he got his revenge. Or you take Count of Monte Cristo. Mm. Yeah, that's a that's a long game story. That mm-hmm. a really long game. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But but the richness of that is so much more satisfying than uh, I don't know. Just thinking a typical Hollywood flick where the hero walks off, you know, mm-hmm. in, in yeah. you know thirty minutes of obstacles and he wins. You know? Sure. Yeah, well, you know, the, when we ultimately in that campaign, when he did get on that boat and go across the water, he was he was petrified. I mean, he couldn't mm-hmm. move. If we were to get in a fight and spot, mm-hmm. he mm-hmm. laid on that boat and and held on for dear life the whole way across that river. If you mm-hmm. remember that, because he was terrified, he was frozen. Yeah, he was frozen. All and that's and and that's realistic. When people work to overcome phobias, it's a slow process of of facing the fear and building up a little resistance. And it takes years for people to get over some of those phobias, if ever. And, yeah. and if so that, that's a, realistic. Yeah. And a setback can throw you back 10 steps back. You know, yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah. Um, Way farther than a success pulls you forward. Oh yeah. yeah. Think about yeah. Uh, the character from uh, saving, um, saving private Ryan, the rest of his life is dominated by that moment on the stairs. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I can see a whole story about that guy where he's a failure. He self-sabotages everything in his life for all the guilt. Mm-hmm. He hates himself. And I can see the rest of that, that life being dominated unless he finds a way to confront the mm-hmm. moment on the stairs. That's the sequel to that. <laughs> to that yeah. <laughs> If you have a group, so let's say you have a group who buys in, they want people that feel real and a melee is about to break out. And the question that has to come now is, are all the characters committed 
not the not the players because that's a meta issue. Mm -hmm. This is about the characters. If you buy in with this uh, emotional component, instinctual component, is everyone who says they are buying in content with John? You may run away instead of instead of okay, I flank to the right and I draw my bow. No, John, you turn tail and run. Are, right. are you well, content with that? Because now the rubber has hit the road. Right? Well, then the question is, do do we get to apply modifiers or are we just playing the system? Right. Because now we're in a group and we have a reason for facing these people. And yeah. so we have modifiers to apply to that. Sure. Right? Yeah. So, and, and I'm saying John lost after after the modifiers. Yeah, we've all he lost all said and done. The dice are rolled and he's terrified in this situation. Yeah. So how do you guys, if you three are the players right now mm -hmm. and this fight has just begun and John ran away, I guess the question is, you, you know, when, you when, bought the, my question you bought is, the when ticket. did John decide to run away? Because how much time do we have to talk him into not running away? Well, okay. So that's, that's, that's <laughs> another component. In a, is, in a fight, you have no time. There's well, zero if the time, fight yeah. has already started, but if we're looking, we're standing on the hill and we see the enemy and John's ah. pissing himself at this point, <laughs> we're like, okay, John, buddy, look, course. yeah, look, buddy, we got, we got this thing going on. We really need you. You can't, mm -hmm. you can't run. If he runs, yeah. we all have to decide, okay, can we do this without John or do we go with John and figure another thing out? Or right. is the battle already started and that's when he pisses himself and he's gone? So basically right? you're saying I'm Hicks in Aliens. <laughs> Was that not already understood? <laughs> <laughs> Don't you mean Hudson? Hudson, that's right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah John. God, know John. No, you're goddamn alien lore. God. Jeez. Oh, I'm going to block names wrong. Now. Yeah. <sighs> okay. So he, he, here's something that, that has been popping into my mind. Um, uh, I'm wondering if there needs to be like a big gradation between considering being in the fight and actually stepping in front of your enemy. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure there needs to be a, a, like a gradient increase in chance of running that is a, it's a constant increase between those two points. Okay. Isn't it, isn't it true that when you're with your, your buddies, sharpening your swords, considering what you really care about and what you're trying to accomplish, there shouldn't be any problem making yourself continue. It really only is the point when you step in front of your enemy and your enemy's sword is drawn and gleaming, you know, in the sun. It's at that point that you really start to question how devoted you are to it. Yeah. Until you actually reach that point, aren't you on board? I, I no, think not always, but yeah, I see what you're saying. I, I, uh, I get your point, but I think the sliding scale again, uh, like have it where you hesitate and then you get to roll again, or you hesitate for two rounds and get to roll again. Or mm. if you really succeed, it's no inhibitors do whatever you wanted to do, you know, and have it something in between. <sighs> Yeah, I mean, hes I, I, hesitations in the middle and doing what you want is on you know the positive end and then running yeah. or freezing or whatever is on the you know the negative and then you look at the modifiers yeah so. i mean isn't isn't anything anything that happens the night before the battle isn't that just narrative and role playing yeah, yeah, yeah that, absolutely. That, all that 
all that goes out the window when the rubber meets the road. When yeah, on, and I, it, it, it feels yeah. like there doesn't need to be systemic stuff until right. you actually step up to, uh, to, to fight your enemy. Right. And this goes back to my eight guys beating up an old man example. We all would mm -hmm. agree that the right thing to do would be to go over there and try to stop him from getting killed. Yeah. Tomorrow, you're walking down to work and you see that happen. And like your heart's racing, your adrenaline's pumping. You know, make a roll right then and there. And chances are, I'm going to bet money that none of us will go over there yeah. in yeah. that moment. No, but we uh -huh. might yell from across the street, hey, look, yeah. and then get our phone right. out and call. Yeah, right? yeah. And we might do something like that. Yeah, but when they all start running after you, you're probably hauling ass. Absolutely. Absolutely. But you know what? Yeah. They're not beating that old man up anymore. Right. But yeah. still, those are the kind of, it's that, I mean, you've all had it where you're, you're, you know, it's hard to swallow, your palms are sweating, you're nervous and shit. And mm -hmm. I like do that standing in front of 20 students every day. Yeah. I mean, the first fight, <laughs> you have, first fight you've ever been in, you kind of get that way. If you have time, to, if you overthink it, you start to, it's paralysis mm -hmm. yep, a little bit. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's, it seems like if we, if we introduce any kind of mechanic at any point before the first niche, then we're creating a really, really top heavy system. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. It, it makes it makes sense that you know everybody's gung ho. I mean, what well, you know, it's what's the 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 famous um, Muhammad Ali quote or you know, whoever it was. You know, everybody has a plan until they get hit. Right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's you, true. You, you yeah, know, yeah. You, it's it's easy to justify being motivated and courageous up until you actually step in front of you know an armored brute with blood on his sword. Right. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, well, so it's, and then it's, I think all that stuff that's ahead of that, though, could add to modifiers. For example, plan making. If mm. we have this plan and we're really gung ho about this plan and we really are all excited about this plan, even when I'm facing that brute in front of me, I know that these guys have a plan. And if I could just hold out this long, this plan will, mm. will play out. Right. So that's a modifier to that moment. Well, that like, happened. That happened before that moment, right? So mm -hmm. that would be a modifier to that moment. Or yeah. think about my example: eight gangbangers beating up a guy. What if it's two scrawny teenagers? I'm going to go over there and start kicking somebody's ass. Absolutely. Yeah. Another end of this would be not the fear uh, or freezing that you know, or fleeing, but actually having. Making your character do something that's really stupid because you're enraged. And I can't recall any group I played with where this happens. What I see instead is they were going to have that battle anyway. And a particular character, you know, was role playing and they expressed their rage and their vehemence and they screamed as, as they swung their sword, et cetera. But that's yes. only half of the equation. I would like to see some situations where a character is enraged. Uh, they want vengeance, for example, or, you know, whatever. And strategically, charging in and attacking is really stupid. But they so, do it anyway. So have you guys, A, ever seen that? I've only seen it in Game of Thrones. <laughs> no, there's a there's an actual thing in in uh, Dungeons and Dragons where if you take the rage, and this used to be in Second Edition, and I think they watered it down in 3.5, unfortunately. The Jordan and I play it, um, but if you take the rage feat and you actually go into rage, you throw your shield down, 
you don't have a shield. You drop it. You drop. Um, you you drop your ability to stop essentially. So you are in this battle, and if you were to kill all of the enemy, and there are still people standing that are your own people, they have to stop you. They have to find a way to stop you from attacking the rest of the people that are still standing. It's like berserk. That's the berserk, yeah. Okay, so let's. Uh, I wonder how much of that we can use. So let's forget the barbarian and berserking. Let's just say people who are, for whatever reason, enraged. So I'm uh, thinking of Silmarillion. There's a case where there's a battle line that's drawn, a huge war, and Morgoth lures the Noldor into attacking by mutilating and murdering a bunch of elves. And the elves go into a fury and attack. It was all part of Morgoth's plan. And they get this, they get decimated. So in a role-playing game, I'm trying to think of again, you have a situation where emotion and instinct take over logic. So right. And so, so I'm thinking of again of the players who said that they bought in. So all of a sudden, Eric. It's logical that you're getting enraged. You can try and resist it. So there's a die roll. But essentially, you're running in, and you're probably going to get yourself killed and probably your party killed. I'm trying to I'm trying to anticipate, is the party, are, are you as players content with that happening? I'm okay with it. Yeah, you have a resistance role. To try to, to to stave off going into a rage, but once if you fail that, then the rage mechanic applies, which you in, in the games I'm familiar with, it's you can't defend, no shield, your full attack every time, and you you gain some advantages like you could ignore stun, you ignore right. a little bit of damage until you just go until you can't go no more. Or well, in D you dead. go to neg ten, right? You can you can fight until you're negative ten, which is actual yeah. death. So. Yeah, I'm trying to I'm trying to get a feel for are you guys happy with that? Let's say that Eric probably just got everyone killed. So he charges into a group that's outnumbering you two yeah. to one or three to one or whatever. Leroy Jenkins. Or or are you pissed? Or do you think well, Eric uh, just got us all killed? Actually, well, I mean, it's, it, it's probably both, to be honest. But it, it again, it all depends on the details. It all depends on how yep. it happened. Okay. Absolutely. If if you know we've been playing a campaign together and you know eric suddenly does this and it's out and of character and there's it's no out of character it. and there's never been a you know a suggestion of it previously right then it, it instantly becomes a metagaming problem and, I, and i'm like you know eric what the fuck are you doing exactly. <laughs> i'm not i'm not i'm not saying you know like saying to his character what's you know what are you doing it's like eric player what the fuck are you doing? right so it, it, it has it i mean it has to be actually integrated in somehow so that it is believable as part of the story. So if Eric's character is Jon Snow and he's in the Battle of the Bastards, it's all it's all on, right? Uh, his brother gets killed. They break through the castle and he's got Ramsay there. Mm -hmm. And he's just beating the shit out of him until his face is pulled. Yeah, right. I mean, if 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 everything in the story has led up to the point where when Eric as the player... Yeah. makes his character do this thing if it's believable in the narrative then i'm on yeah. board with it right yeah. the question is do you, 
you get a role. So you decide to go with it or do you succumb to fear? Right. And so mm. everybody then has their own thing within that moment that their character is yeah. going to have to deal with. Mm-hmm. So go back to that moment when Jon Snow rides out to save Rakan, his brother, and he's in the middle of the battlefield right before the battle starts. His his resistance to to not help his brother would be super penalized. Like he has to go out there and he would have to basically open end to just stand back there and follow the plan. Mm-hmm. And then where the rest of the lead guys are back at the line, they're like, fuck, plan B now, just charge. You know, and you <laughs> right, just throw all right. that shit out the window. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. Logic can't overcome some things. Right. Like you can't say, well, I have to get across that, you know, bridge. Therefore, I'm going to, my, my acrophobia doesn't matter. It doesn't work like that. It's something else. And and so I'm, I'm very much in favor of a willpower attribute that governs lots of things. Uh, like I've said, I think this is the hardest mechanic I've ever contemplated because it's so nuanced and because it, it is situations where players don't get to control uh, perfectly what their characters are doing. But that's life. I mean, we yes. don't. We don't. Uh, so, I mean, this goes into the the other part of the discussion, which is uh, I did another podcast w- called uh, Say versus Acrasia. So Acrasia is the uh, ancient Greek uh, term for um, what we do whenever we act in a self-destructive way or in a way that's not in keeping with what we know we should be doing. Right. So. If I um, list out on paper, here's the way I should be spending all my time. Every day of the week, I should be doing this, this, and this. And and as a side note, that has been proven time and again to have fantastic results if you just write things down. I mean, the chances of accomplishing certain things really does increase. But if we try and like write down the ideal life for here's me for the next you know, 12 months, you can write it all out, but it's just idealized at that point. And um, the way that I and most gamers have played, I believe through the years is to list out the most idealized thing that the characters do. We go here, we set up these defenses, we march every day, we do all these things that require extreme willpower. But that's not the way people live their lives at all. People are self-serving. They go for comfort when they can. They go for ease when they can. And so this is another issue of if you have a group, again, that buy, that has player buy-in. So they all say, okay, I want realistic, will-powered, self-disciplined people or lazy people or you know, very selfish people. And the group starts making plans. We're going to go do this. And they give a list of 20 things they're going to do. We're in the same dynamic. Are there dice that have to be rolled to say, okay, you do this, uh, you know, the next 30 days, you live this incredibly disciplined life. Or do we just say, you know, you guys wouldn't do all of that because some of it becomes outlandish. 
right? Well, like if, I mean, I were if, you're, to, if, if you're doing things summarily, like if you're passing three months and your characters yeah. aren't role-playing every single day. Yeah. I mean, obviously, that's a conversation between the DM and the players. Like, okay, so you get this thing done. And, you know, if we're going to summarize this, then these are the things that happen during that time that get in your way. Because the DM is rolling the rest of the world. The characters are playing their characters. The DM still has input on all of that because the DM puts the things in the world. And these are the things that are going to be these are going to be obstacles to you during those three months that are going to get in your way of this, going to get in the way of this and going to get in the way of this. And you have that conversation and you make the decision if we're going to, you know, summarily take three months. Right. I think the mechanic has to have in the definition of what self-discipline or willpower actually does for you as a negative or a positive. If it's low, then you like, you are distract easily distracted as a description. Like let's say you have, I don't know, what, what are the stats in your system, Daniel, 1 to or 10 to 50 or what is it? Uh, 50 is the general ceiling, yeah. Okay, okay. so if you have a 50 self-discipline in your system, it would be, you know, you're only inefficient 15% of the day, right? But if, you're, if your self-discipline is, say, a 15, you're only going to be pro- yeah. pro- productive 15% of the day. So yeah. when, when you get to that point where everybody's like, okay, we're done adventuring, we, we cleaned out the dungeon, let's go take a break, do some training, blah, blah, blah. Then you go back to your mechanic and it says, well, uh, Tom, Dick, and, and, and Joe here have low self-discipline, so they only get 15 or 27% of whatever they wanted to do, whereas the guy who's you know really high up on the thing gets a lot more done. And I would argue that it, it, I think self-discipline or willpower is probably the most important attribute a human can have it overcomes almost all things if it's high right yeah. people you hear all these stories about people just doing unbelievable things super success stories in you know financial in the art world or any endeavor they try to do it's because they're the few that have that high discipline to keep getting back up keep doing over you know over and over and over even though they they're, they're failing they're failing but they get to that point where they become success stories those are the rare people that get idolized because usually that, that equates to having money, right? And in, in, in reality, but you know, nobody writes about the, the fat, lazy sloth who lives in a trailer because nobody gives two shits about that person because they are not doing anything. Yeah. Saturday Night Live did. Saturday Night uh, Live did a whole skit on that guy <laughs> that lived in a van down by the river. Right. But he's, he's nobody's hero. Right. Well, yeah, nor will he I ever be. disagree. I think he's yeah. my hero. <laughs> yeah. This this is the Michael uh, Michael Jordan life. I mean, it was his yeah. discipline that yeah. did it. I mean, obviously, yeah. he's he's got genetic advantages, but sure. he really did just bust his ass for years, yeah, uh, even after any, all kinds of failures. He, he any Olympian, pushing. any Olympian. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. Oh. that's their life. What it makes me think of, though, is that, you know, the, the Olympian, uh, uh, yeah, the, those people, they certainly have, you know, greater willpower than most people. But do they have it inherently or do they have it because of the pressure from coaches and, you know, other yeah. people around them? Yeah. So, you know, I mean, there nature, are nature. Yeah, there are certainly lots of yeah. cases where. Uh, you know, Olympic athletes were seriously injured and they did not want to do another attempt at their sport. And their coach basically said, you must. Yeah. yeah. And so their, their willpower was not internal. 
Yeah, I'm very much in favor of willpower attributes uh, rising as time goes on. It needs to be a powerful influencer on everything else, though. Yeah, another uh, thing that's important um, in my system, probably in many others, too, is the idea of you advance in skills by training. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, imagine that we're all traveling. And so Eric teaches wrestling. And so let's say as we're traveling along. For those of you who are not sports people, Danny, it's coaches wrestling. (laughs) (laughs) That's all right. Go ahead. I teach wrestling. Go ahead. I have have a lot less respect for the word coach than teacher. (laughs) I'm just saying. Coach. (laughs) Turn in your dice. All right. I'm turning them in. All right. So let's say that we're all traveling and – all of a sudden we say, okay, um, let's all train every day to become as good wrestlers as Eric can make us. Now, on paper, that is possible. We could train X number of hours a day doing whatever exercises and whatever he says to do, but we wouldn't do it, right? I mean, we're, like we're, just, we're some, lazy. That's like asking Unless somebody, you had a goal, right? But even with miles, the goal, would we do Mark, it? Pump 20 miles with a 40 pound sack of shit that you're carrying. And then when you're done for the day, uh, build a fort out of wood. (laughs) Fuck that. They're not doing that. (laughs) Unless they're motivated. No, I mean, seriously, if they're motivated, there's a, there's a, that's, that's the thing about coaching. And I know teaching, whatever, teaching is the same thing. (laughs) But (laughs) the thing about coaching is that motivate, that ability to motivate your students to, or your players or your, whatever, to do whatever it is that they really don't want to be doing, right? right. They don't want to do 15 more push-ups, no. but we're yeah. doing it because this is our goal, right? Yeah. And and I'm here to make sure that we get to our goal. And so we've got to do those 15 more push-ups. And yeah. you know what? I'm going to do them with you right now because I know you guys are struggling, so I'm doing them too. So here we go. And everybody gets down on the mat and we do it, right? So when those goals are in place and everybody's bought in on those goals, then yes, they're more likely to do it. Is it a hundred percent guaranteed? No, but is it likely that you can get them there? Depends on the skill of the person motivated. Yeah. Maybe, yeah, may, maybe a mechanic can be designed so that uh, all of this kind of stuff is sort of determined at character creation. Mm-hmm. And so then you can, you can do some yeah. modifiers, you know, like, uh, uh, yeah, exactly. so, you know, you, exactly. the, the the young athletic guy who's never been in a fight, and then he's been in a couple of fights, and so his chance of you know being brave next time slightly increases. There can be some sort of mechanic that it basically works like you know increasing your skill levels. Yeah, those so are the that, modifiers. Like, yeah, you so can, that you you yeah. you raise yourself up slowly over time, um, yeah. and then and you it, counteract that by, of course, having you know scarier and scarier enemies. Yeah. You could have yeah. this done in one chart with just a modifiers list. Everything can be plugged into either. It's either will, self-discipline, fear, yeah. uh, uh, motivation to train or not, or how far how far are you willing to march? Because, you know, another thing is what I hate is everybody who's in the party always gets to march 20 to 25 miles a day, whatever. Yeah. It's a, right. Nobody's like, nobody's oh, tired. Yeah, nobody has. I'm not going any further. Right. I have rocks, splinters, (laughs) and I'm cut because of my, you know, gear I'm wearing and all that. There's no, it's just always 20. 20 is like the general, (laughs) what everybody travels in every fantasy game. 
Yeah. One of my son, one of my son's friends right now is on the Appalachian Trail. And they're they have dedicated to complete the whole Appalachian Trail this year. Wow. He and his wife. And so they had this plan, and I can't tell you how many times their plan has been interrupted because one, she's been injured, two, he's been injured, three, they're just exhausted. And they're just yeah. walking. They're and all walking. they're doing is walking. They're not fighting. They're they don't right. have any they don't they have their gear with them, but they're not fighting and they, they don't have armor on and they don't have <laughs> you know, yeah. and this happens, right? I mean, this is how it's been. So the question is, do we want how realistic do we want it to be and how playable do we want it to be? Right. Because we could get really nitty gritty with modifiers or we can say, all right, here's the general. This is the role. This is our general modifiers. We talk about it. We roll the dice. We go on with the story. Right. Because what it is, is a shared story. It's not just the DM story that we're talking about. We're sharing the story. Right. Everybody's involved in this story. So they should all have some input on this. And so that shared conversation with what modifiers need to be put onto this role that's going to determine this next thing Hmm. is a super important thing, not just for the die roll, but important for the character development and the shared story. This episode, this conversation is really exploratory just on the issue of should we even bother integrating a mechanic that covers the question of do I at the moment when it matters have the willpower to force myself to do what the logical part of my brain is telling me I should do and I'll ask each of you, each of you that John what's your what's your reaction to that question I think uh, willpower is probably one of the most important aspects to a character and I think that the, uh, integrating a mechanic, uh, perhaps even a stat in a mechanic that's simple enough to be interpreted by the GM to make calls as they come up uh, is very important. And I, um, I, I think if it's as integrated and, and as elegant as how, for example, Cthulhu handles insanity, I think that's the, the right path to be uh, shooting for uh, as far as a, a mechanic for, for those types of things. All right, Nate, you uh, you are the only one of us who's played Call of Cthulhu. Uh, what's your reaction to my question? And and does does Call of Cthulhu shine some light on this topic? Well, um, I, I I guess the simple answer to that is yes. Um, you know, I played uh, a Call of Cthulhu campaign for only a couple of months. My experience wasn't extensive, but I found the the kind of external pressure of this mechanic to be an enjoyable aspect of the game. And I was willing to kind of integrate it into the decisions I made as a player, into the role-playing I did for the character. I found it to be uh, an enriching aspect. Um, but for me, you know, I'm, I'm much more of a narrativist than I am anything else. Um, and I, I, I want to play characters who are not idealized, you know, who are not shallow heroes. You know, I, I, I like conflicted characters. I like characters who have flaws. I like characters who, you know, have, have I mean, in the, in the classic Greek, you know, theater sense of, of deeply, tragically flawed, you know, that, that sort of stuff is compelling to me. I like that. And so, 
even though in the moment, because I certainly I've played in the past where the, the GM told me that I was affected by something, in the moment, I might be miffed by it. But that's just immaturity as a player, in my opinion, that, you know, you got to roll with the punches and, and allow those sorts of mechanics to actually enrich the gameplay, you know, to pressure you into things that, you know, maybe it's not your, you know, you know your, your dream fantasy scenario, um, but in the end, it creates a much more compelling, interesting, and ultimately satisfying experience. So yeah, I, I absolutely think it's worth it. Um, if you are on board with this kind of role playing, it is the way to go. If you're not, then don't bother. Yeah. All right, Eric, uh, same question and any thoughts about uh, this being a, a mechanic integrated component? I like the idea of it being a uh, mechanic within the system and that there's some way to manage it that everyone has buy-in on. I like the idea that um, when we're when we're telling the story, that there's something that helps us move that story forward without it just being a never-ending argument. That eventually the die gets rolled and the the argument's over, and we know the decision and we move forward from there. Um, and I think fear is definitely one of those things that you want to you want to deal with, and you want it to help enrich that that shared story because no character is going to want to put that fear on their own character. I mean, it's rare that you're going to find a player character that wants their character to be afraid, but yeah. when it becomes part of the story and now all of a sudden, when we tell the story two months later, we're like, Hey, you remember that time when, and then that part of the story comes out because it's a memorable part of the story, right? It's that shared story that the DM has, um, helped bring their part of the story out. And that was the fear of the moment that caused these things to happen, which caused these other things maybe that were, weren't were anticipated, but now all of a sudden these other things had to happen because that person was afraid. And those that shared story is such an important part of it because one of my favorite things to do, and I know, and I know for the guys that play with me, one of our favorite things to do is to to rehash some of the things that that we've gone through in our role playing with these characters, you know, especially when we're saying, well, what happened last time we were together and we retell that story? Oh, yeah. And you remember. Oh, yeah. And you remember that this thing happened. And, and when so and so did this really stupid. Right. And you go through those stories and everybody's like laughing and having a good time. That's what it's about. I mean, that, that shared story and then the rehashing of those stories, that fear is a catalyst for other for other things that cause them to not act necessarily in their heroic ways, but forces them to play that character in a more realistic way. Yeah. All right. So uh, in the future, we can we can talk about some potential uh, mechanic implementations. Uh, they would have to be simple and fast, uh, like everything else. If it's not simple and fast. It's in the way and it, it's it's counterproductive. But um, yeah, this is a good conversation for if we should even even bother. And it sounds like my uh, my pessimism was once again telling me no. And you guys are saying probably should. Yeah. All right, cool. All right. Well, uh, thanks a lot again, guys. And uh, 
we will do this again soon. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks, Jordan. Thanks,